Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Luke's Gospel. We are in the 18th chapter of Luke's Gospel. While you're getting to Luke chapter 18, just one quick announcement this morning. Uh, this week coming, we will not be having our small groups coming into Thanksgiving. And so we all want to kind of stay on the same page with our uh, learning. So we won't be having any groups this week. You've got a week off. I want to welcome you to worship this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are grateful for who you are, how you love us, how you meet our needs, and how you meet us where we are. And Lord, frankly, you know that we're not always where we want to be. We'd prefer to be with each other right now, but in a way we are because you have made us one and you've called us to be a family and we are thankful for that. And even though we can't connect the way that we desire to, we are nonetheless connected through you, through your spirit, through your church. Lord, we pray that you would be present and powerful in our different expressions of worship this morning as we approach you, as we turn our eyes to you. We pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, while we find ourselves perhaps in some familiar settings that are not always known to us to be sacred, that they would somehow become sacred settings this morning, that you would help us not to be distracted by the cares of life that regularly surround us in our own homes, the things that need to be done, the things that nag us because they've been left undone. Father, put those things out of our minds. Help us to tune into you so that we can hear what you have to say to us, so that we can drink in the power and the truth and the majesty of your word, so that we can be reminded again of who you are and whose we are, and the power of this church through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would be on Ben this morning as he brings us a message here in a few minutes that he be faithful in expositing your word, that its truth might be coming forth from this pulpit and directly into our hearts, challenging us and opening our eyes to new truths or reminding us of old truths that we may have forgotten, Lord. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about humility this morning. And Lord, help us to be a humble people. Being as powerless as we are over circumstances reminds us of the limits of our strength and aptitude, and it forces us to acknowledge our weakness and our inabilities. Help us to be more comfortable with those things, Lord. We don't need to worry about those things because you are all-powerful and ever-able. Equip us this morning as we bring our worship and praise to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture is from Luke 18. I'm going to start reading in the ninth verse. Luke 18, verse 9. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word aloud this morning. And now it looks like it's Ben's turn. I think I told Ben that my first sermon that I preached might have lasted six minutes. So I'm very hopeful today that he makes it beyond the six-minute mark. Um, and I was sure when I wrote that sermon out that it would go on and on and on. It's a little nerve-wracking preaching sometimes, especially when you're first getting started. But again, church, thank you for supporting this ministry cohort. Thank you for investing in, in the lives of these men that we at United Baptist Church are training up and teaching so that they can be faithful, not only in this body, but wherever the Lord might call them. Ben. Good morning. So, first off, what am I doing here? <laughs> Last year, I was doing pretty well. I felt like I was in the right place with God. I was um, doing more and more. What I was coming to do, I was reading my Bible daily, I was doing weekly men's groups, and I was actually listening to sermons in my free time. I was riding somewhat of a high on spirituality, but I had this digging inside of me. I had this inclination that I needed to be doing more. I felt like I needed to preach or, in some sort, give some sort of message. And so, without knowing how to preach, and the only type of preaching that I've ever experienced is being is doing night devos at Baptist Youth Camp. And all that really was, was looking up an article about a scripture that I liked, making some tweaks to make it my own, and then delivering it to my campers. So I don't know if I had either overheard Dad talking about cohort, or if Dad just straight up told me about cohort, but that was the big sign for me to say, aha, that's what I'm supposed to do. So it took me about two months of wrestling with the fear of rejection, to ask Dad whether or not I could join cohort, and he just said yes. He said, but it's going to be work, and it is work. So, with that being said, as the youngest, best-looking member of the cohort, I am going to bring forward a sermon about humility. Let us pray. God, I thank you for the ability to come here today, Lord, and give your word. Right, it's a weird circumstance and that our worship has been thrown off. But Lord, I pray that our worship service is still glorifying to you. Lord, give me the words to speak and have the ears to listen, Lord. In your name, amen. So, if you were paying attention a few Sundays ago, you may have noticed that Justin's sermon and his parable is very close to my scripture and my parable, as in the parable for today comes literally right after the parable of Justin's. And so the parable of the unjust judge teaches that we should be praying without ceasing. And my parable, the parable of today, teaches 
how to pray as to be heard. For a good summary of the context, we should go back a few Sundays and take a listen to Justice Sermon. But for a quick synopsis, Jesus and his disciples are on the road to Jerusalem. They're stopping and teaching as they go. They've been asked questions by the Pharisees, and then Jesus went back to teaching his disciples. That's where we're at today. As for who's being spoken to for today's parable, it's in the text. But before we get into who's being spoken to, we should see who is being spoken about. There's two characters. There's the Pharisee and the tax collector. The first character is the Pharisee. That is a pretty common character that we see throughout the New Testament. But who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and they were held in high honor by those around them. They were the ones that you needed to get the blessings from. They, were upheld, they upheld and enforced the Jewish laws and traditions. They held a lot of power. So when the Apostle Paul was listing his credentials, the marks of his status that he gave up to be a follower of Jesus, he called himself a Hebrew among Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee. The, Pharisee, the Pharisees were revered as models of holiness and right living. So when Jesus taught this parable and made the introduction of a Pharisee, everyone that would have been listening would have assumed that's the good guy, that that's the one that was going to do the thing that was right. So that's the opposite of what they thought for the next character, the tax collector. Now, if you were to Google tax collector to try to find a, what they were, what comes up, first result, is a trailer for a movie with George Lopez and Shia LaBeouf. So if you add definition onto there so that you really get what you're actually looking for, it says someone who collects taxes. That's simple. But it's not that simple if we look at the biblical context. The biblical tax collector was a person who would then collect taxes for Rome. So Rome would put up a bid for collections of taxes in certain provinces. The tax collector would bid on those provinces, pay in advance, somewhat of like a loan, and then they would be able to go and collect the taxes in those provinces. So a tax collector would then go to those lands and take back the money that they had given Rome. Anything past the original loan amount was profit. So if they made any extra, they get to keep it. So more often than not, these tax collectors would take advantage of the people and put a little bit more money in their pockets. I don't know about you, but that's not someone who I think would do well if someone was teaching about. I don't know anybody who would be excited to learn of this person. This person is a crook. He's a thief. We know plenty of people that are like that. I know we just got past an election and some of this stuff's still going on, and all we heard about was politicians and their political ads. The same feeling that I had for every single political ad I had to listen to is the same amount of disgust I would think that the people back in those days would think of the tax collector. These people saw them as a traitor coming to do Rome's work on Jewish soil. So those are the two characters of this parable. We should take a look at who Jesus is talking to. That's in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So who do you think this verse is talking about? The Pharisees? 
because that was my first thought. I went straight to the Pharisees. I was like, it's probably them. They do that all the time. And it's easy to think that. But the Scripture says what the Scripture says on purpose. It says, He taught to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. To me, that's not limiting it to the Pharisees because it doesn't say just the Pharisees. Have you ever thought of yourself as too good to do something? Have you asked someone to do a simple task and had them fail it? How did you treat that person? Did you possibly think of yourself better than that person? If you said yes to any of those questions, there is a high chance that this parable is being taught to you. So with that in mind, let's keep reading. Verses 10 and 12. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, the Pharisee's prayer is a prayer of praise to himself. And it is very hard to vouch for a guy when he prays like that or acts like that. Like, don't you just hate it when someone acts so proud. What's worse, though, is the things that he is praising himself about aren't inherently bad. It is a good thing that this man is not an extorting adulterer. But his prayer just shows us that he's thinking of his righteousness as his own morality. Fasting and tithing, those are good things too, both of which are asked of us by God. You're actually called to tithe in Deuteronomy 14.22. It says, we must tithe of the yield of your seed year after year. Leviticus 27.30, every tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So the tithing is good. It is good that the Pharisee is tithing. God will use that in more ways than we could even imagine. But what isn't good is that the Pharisee is boasting about it. Jesus warns us in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be, get, may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the generosity is good. Announcing the generosity is bad. Fasting is the same thing. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. It says, when you fast, not if you fast. So it is meant to be a private act between you and God. I don't know about you, but the more I do something, or the more frequently I do something, the less special it gets. Like Momo's cheesecake. When I didn't live right down the road, Momo's was special. But now that I'm literally 0.2 miles away, 
aka an eight-minute walk, 20 minutes if I take my four-year-old, is not that unique. It's not a special treat anymore. So unless this Pharisee's life was in shambles, fasting twice a week was too many times. Now there really isn't a set number of how many times you can fast, but there is a number of how many times you should, and it was listed. There was only one day a year that they were called to fast. The Israelites were called to fast on the Day of Atonement, and that's back from Moses in Exodus. You could fast more than that if you needed to, but those times should have been for a specific reason. Typically, when a person was fasting, they were fasting in moments of grief, moments of conviction, moments of repentance, or just simply as an aid to prayer to draw close to God. So boasting about the frequency of how much you are fasting shows that this Pharisee is trusting in himself, that his good works are the basis of his righteousness. He was trusting that his good works was making him acceptable to God. That builds a false sense of security. He believed the things that he was doing was right and was righteous. And I mean, he is right that those are right things to do. But what's scary is that he fell into the trap of self-security. We can fall into that trap too. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible daily, all the time. I pray when those prayer request emails come out. I'm doing good things. But just because you're doing godly things doesn't mean you're doing what God wants you to do. Looking further into the text, but the tax, so verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off wouldn't lift his eyes. He beat his chest and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector is praying with humility. Now the humility in the Bible does not mean to look of yourself poorly. The humility of the Bible is modesty, having a proper view of one's moral littleness. It is a comparison of yourself to the perfection of the Lord. So this tax collector sees his imperfections and his unworthiness. He dares not make eye contact with God. He kept his eyes down. He pounded his chest. Now today that's a weird expression, but back then that was a common expression of grief, that they felt that they had to punish their heart for the evil thoughts and sinful acts that it had inspired. He offers a simple prayer of confession and a plea for help. And Jesus says he went away justified. Justified. The original language here means to be rendered just, innocent, righteous. Not only does, the tax, not only does Jesus pronounce the tax collector justified, he makes sure that we know the Pharisee was not so just to make sure that we have this straight and we can appreciate the twist of this parable, the guy that everybody thought was going to receive God and have it right, the Pharisee, was rejected. And the guy that everybody thought would be rejected was received. And why was that? It's because the tax collector acknowledged his sin and was humble before God, a sign that he was truly repentant. 
And the Pharisee had no sense whatsoever of the sin of his own. In fact, he probably thought himself not a sinner. I mean, look at his prayer. I'm thankful that I'm not like that guy, that I don't do those things. That's full of pride. And the pride led him to treat others with contempt. Jesus does not want us to be the Pharisee. For emphasis, he ends his parable with these words. Verse 14. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So believer, if you are confident in your righteousness because of what you have done and the things that you've done good, and it's not the daily reminder of the salvation is a gift, then you are treading close to walking with the Pharisee. And seeker, non-believer, if you are thinking that you can make it in to heaven just by being a good person, by doing good things, the Pharisee was doing good things. The Pharisee was doing godly things, and he still was not accepted. The way you get accepted is by coming humbly before the Lord. The tax collector was a prime example of that. He knelt down. He kept his eyes away. He beat his chest and confessed that he was a sinner. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, there is no qualifier on this. It says, whosoever shall believe, not whosoever did it right, not whosoever made some mistakes, but whosoever believe shall have everlasting life and shall not perish. I can tell you confidently today that if you were to come before Christ in humility and confess your sins, that He will meet you with open arms. And Christian that may have walked away, a person who is struggling, stumbling, is evident that it's not your actions that define your righteousness. It is Christ, and it is through Christ you have been redeemed. So if you feel like you're failing or you think you've done just a little too much to get far away enough that you might not be saved, right now is the perfect time to come back, admit your wrongs, and love Jesus. And so the application of this parable seems pretty plain. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Or, as the message paraphrases, you can walk around with your nose in the air and then fall flat on your face. I want to leave you guys with the thoughts of the Puritan John Bunyan with an encouragement to humility. He that is down, fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble, ever shall have God to be his guide.